Hey, queer friends, are you ready to be inspired? Welcome to Season 5 of Coming Out and Beyond, a podcast that shares stories from the LGBTQIA community. Here's your host, Anne-Marie Zanzel. Hi, it's Anne-Marie Zanzel here. Welcome back to another episode of Coming Out and Beyond LGBTQIA plus stories. I am so excited to welcome Lori D. Young Zuberink. They are a 53-year-old gender non-conforming later in life lesbian who crashed into the acceptance of her full identity five years ago. Lori is the descendant of Dutch settlers and until 2020, engaged life in the conservative mainline Protestant Christian community of West Michigan, where she both lived into the assumption of heteronormative culture while at the same time pressed against them. Lori, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's good to be here. Well, I am so excited to have you. And so if you're a follow-up of this show, you know the first question I always ask is, Lori, tell me your story. <laughs> so I know it's a big, I, this is a great show for those who have come out of Christ, Christ, you know, conservative Christian traditions. Lori's story is rich and fascinating, and that paragraph is only a teaser. So Lori, tell me your story. Yeah, it's hard to know where exactly to start. Um, so I grew up in West Michigan, like I said, like you said, uh, and at, while at the same time, sort of being expected to be uh, all the feminine pieces, all the the girl pieces of, you know, living into, got to find a man to marry and and do all the right stuff. At the same time, my dad was telling me, "You can do anything the boys can do," which meant I was going to be a doctor and I was going to go into science and I was going to be an athlete and I was going to be a leader and all of that, um, which I did, and. Um, Yet there was always this inner sort of angst that was existing, trying to find a place where I belonged, trying to find a place of acceptance. And, uh, you know, what it, it never quite fit. Um, so then I, I, I went to college and uh, did the whole got the MRS degree sort of thing. The Mrs. Degree, I found my uh, got married. Um and uh, had three children, while at the same time I was um, serving in athletics. I was a coach. I was I graduated with a math degree. I was one of just a few uh, women in the program. And then uh, I got connected with. I was always connected with church, and um, heavily involved and invested in my church, and volunteered pretty much in whatever role that was available to me. Um, yet women were not necessarily. Uh, allowed to lead or encouraged to lead. Um, and so a lot of my younger days, I found myself praying the prayer, God, why did you make me a girl? Mm-hmm. And um, looking back on that, I realized I didn't have a language for any of the um, gender stuff or any of the sexuality stuff. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but I think looking back now, I'm, I'm like, that, that was really, I was struggling with gender uh, and identity. 
And uh, I wonder, I often wonder, like, if transgender was a thing, would would that be me now? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so, yeah, I, I got married right out of college at the age of 22. I have three mm-hmm. children. Mm-hmm. They're now in their 20s. And um, because I was heavily involved in church, I eventually went to seminary um, and got my MDiv degree mm-hmm. and was ordained as a pastor. Uh, and I was one of very few women um, in How my degree. Um, that was later in life. So everything, everything I seem to do happens later in life. Hey so. girl, me too. <laughs> so 2010, 2010. Yeah. Oh, me graduated. too. I went to, I graduated <laughs> seminary in 2010. I went to yep. Yale Divinity we're, School. Oh my goodness. We were on the same path at the yep. same time. Yeah. With, uh, I, I always say I'm a, I'm a perpetual late, late bloomer, you know, <laughs> I, I do Figure it out later. Yeah, I I, always, I, and I'm proud of that. Yeah, I'm okay. It's like uh, there's this restlessness of something's not right. Something's not, I just can't quite figure it out. And then all of a sudden, boom, there it is. It was like in front well, of me. Well, that's, and that's why I think a lot of times the later in life community often have people, or at least the ones that I attract into my, into my work, um, tend to be people that um, keep, they're very highly educated and they keep going and getting more degrees and they're, they've done this and they've, they've, they're fascinating women. And I think it's because they're trying to find the missing piece, right? So you keep adding, you keep getting more and more and more education and trying to figure out what's wrong. And then once you realize your, um, your sexuality, it's like, oh, that's the missing piece. Yeah. Damn. So you became a minister later in life. Um Good. So, and you went into parish ministry. You were in a conservative denomination. Um, quick, couple quick questions. What was the ordination process like in that denomination? Um, well, it was seminary, and then there was a series of oral exams that you had to pass. Uh, then there was the confirmation as a candidate by the synod, which is the the national, actually the binational governing body. And uh, then there was a call to an individual church. And then the individual churches actually ordain you as a pastor and mm-hmm. hold your credentials mm-hmm. in, in the yeah. institution. In the UCC, you're ordained. You're in one, when you're ordained by your first church, you're ordained. Um, or you have a, like, I was, I was, I, it was sort of new for them um, because I was always going to be a chaplain. And so my home churches called me to ministry and I was ordained through them, but like it, like they're ordaining chaplains in the UCC um, now, but it's, it's sort of a, depending on what conference you're in and what association it is, it's in a different path. So I understand. So you jumped through a lot of hoops. I did. And you were a girl and they don't, they're not too <laughs> affirming of women in this, in this denomination. So tell me what that experience was like. Well, it was more exhausting than what I realized, right? I just kind of was doing it just mm-hmm. because that's what I did. Uh, and because I wanted to be a pastor um, and love people and serve community and such and so I served actually as a youth pastor and then as an associate pastor uh, and then kind of transitioned because my I, I feel my work, my purpose kind of runs along the margin of uh, community and church. And so I and I have a an undergraduate degree in education, secondary education, mathematics. 
And so I actually got a job as the director of a nonprofit and I ran a, an urban um, nonprofit, which served um, under-resourced and, and underserved populations. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but what was it like? <laughs> no, what was it like? So You're avoiding the question. Well, really? well like <laughs> it's kind of, so I never was in, there was never a space, there, there was a very hard space into uh, any sort of senior pastorate role. Right. So living along the edges. Well, it was sort of interesting because you said you were an association pastor and a youth minister, and that's where they throw women usually, or, or the, or um, the in charge of Christian ed. Right. Um, So usually those are the roles that were you allowed to preach in your denomination? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. So you were allowed to preach. Sometimes even in some denominations, people are not. Were people were were the majority of the people on your uh, committees male or female? Oh, I was mostly in male dominated spaces for sure. Okay. Yeah. And how did they, like, what was that like for you? Is like, you know, as a woman, I mean, I I remember being when I was with the Covenant Church. You know, it was like me, two other women, and fifty five men. Yeah. Um, you know, what was it like for you, you know, going through this process um, and how did they treat you? So I think the word that I use a lot is tolerated. Ah, um, You know, people even that say they're, they're allies and such are allies up to the point of when you start to challenge the system. Right. It's, it's almost it's managerial sexism kind of. It's like, oh, we're so proud we have women and, and here you're you're the first one and great. Um, not not quite the first, but you know, a uh, few. And uh but then when you start to actually use see things from a different perspective and start to address some of those things, and it's like, no, 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 you can't do that. And yes. so um I actually I, I realized I, I was exhausted, like I was. I always thought it was me. I was always like trying to change the system from within and trying to be um, the one that like, okay, people will, people don't change necessarily because of, they don't, and I'm going to talk in Christian terms and in okay. because mm-hmm. of what they read in the Bible. Um, they're like, okay, the Bible says this, whatever, whatever. It's usually because it's about a relationship that people's views change mm-hmm. and understandings change. And mm-hmm. so I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm about building relationships. And I was sought out to I set out to do that, right? To be a mm-hmm. a person that they could see leadership gifts and different things and would change their perspectives. Um, but it took its toll on me. Uh, mm-hmm. And there was a lot of other church stuff that went on, politics and such, um, that I stepped into. Uh, I had to serve. I did serve as a senior pastor for about six months in transitional space, which um, and before stepping into this other role of director as a nonprofit. And the reason I stepped, I should have taken time off at that point and sort of Mm -hmm. looked at myself and rested, but um, I didn't because of the fact that I was a woman and it would put a black mark on, on women in ministry. If I stepped away. I I absolutely understand that. So you did all this work, you're in ministry, Um, you're, you've gotten to where you wanted to go. You did. And um, what happened next? Well, um, 
I think when you talk about, you use the term catalyst, you introduced me to the term catalyst, mm -hmm. right? And it's, we talk about that as our, our, a woman. It's a it can be a person or an event, but it's, it was it's part of a series of, I think, yeah, preparation and understanding within myself. And so I took on this role of this directorship and um, at the same time, things were happening socially. Um, it was about 2016. Uh, mm -hmm. and Trump was coming into office, and I was doing all this justice work and realizing that the church that I was representing was doubling down on their support of um, man oh, and politics yeah, that, that I could not mm -hmm. follow, that I could not. Yeah. So I was already in that space of, okay, what do I do? How do I engage this? Um, and then I participated in a leadership program that I was trying to get some leaders, teen leaders, uh, involved in with, at my center, and uh, I wanted to be the director of that or, or participate in that, and so I had to go through this this curriculum, and it was called Breakthrough, and it was really about finding finding the place where your professional and your personal life come together, mm -hmm. and um, I couldn't make it work, and uh, so the my advisor was the director of the program, and she told me. She's like, I want you to forget about the professional piece because like, I kind of knew what I wanted to do with my program. But she's like, I want you to look at your life and think about your personal personal future best case scenario. And uh, what do you want life to look like? And it was the first time I'd ever been given permission to really think about myself in that way. Mm -hmm. and, um, and so that was the start of it, I think. Uh, it's always that one person <laughs> with that really good question, you know, <laughs> and I, um, you know, so I did that. I, I wrote it out and I handed it, you know, sent it to her. And I also was seeing a spiritual director at the time. And I sent it to her as well. And both of them came back to me with the same question. They said, was this freeing for you? Mm -hmm. And I said, freeing? this is freaking frightening. This is terrifying, right? Because it did yeah. not match what I was doing. And so that was kind of the space where I was in. And so I, out of that came, I resigned from my role as director. And I said, told people at the time, I felt like I could hibernate, uh, just sleep for three months. So I figured that that's what was going to happen. Um, and then I would step back into, you know, get a new job or whatever, but it didn't. Um, it ended up being two years of what I call two years in the wilderness and finding myself. And that's when I found myself in a very vulnerable space, um, just really questioning everything and not not everything you believed in, everything you yeah, but Yeah, I get it. I not, absolutely get it. <laughs> and at the same time, I met a woman and um, she was those also damn women, huh? space. <laughs> <laughs> And yeah, we uh, we we hit it off more than I thought we would, and now it was like, oh no, now what? Who am I? Uh, yes. And so that's really where I started asking myself this question: Am I gay? What does that mean? Um, you know, is this a midlife crisis? Am I just bored? All those questions, which I know you've heard before. Mm -hmm. And um, for me, it was more. So I I like to think about it. Uh, I'm kind of, I'm a math, you know, my, my background's in mathematics and science. And so very structured, very systematic way of looking at things, kind of research. 
And uh, so I was asking this question, right, of am I gay? But then I kind of turned it around and made it a hypothesis and it made it a statement. And when I said that, when I said I am gay, everything fell into place. It's like my entire life just made sense. Oh my God, Barb, didn't we have a great time at our workshop in January? Things you gotta know. Oh my gosh, it was fantastic. And for those who don't know, this was our workshop for women who are coming out. So many people signed up. It was great connecting with all of those women. And you know what, Emery? I think we should do it again. And we are. So we will be hosting this workshop uh, February 19th through 20, the 22nd. It's going to be hosted in the evening this time, 7 p.m. Central Time. And if you want to join us, just go to our website, comingoutsupport.net. That's comingoutsupport.net. Signing up is easy, it is free, and it is for any woman who is navigating the challenges of coming out. We'll see you in February. So I'd like to talk a little bit, I I would like to talk a little bit about what happened within the denomination when you came out, because I know it was really hard. And I would like to talk about like, how, like, how did you handle it at the time and going, looking back, how would you have handled things differently? Because I know that um, I'm such a different person than when I came out, even though I thought I was a really fully developed person then. (laughs) <laughs> you know, um, you I'm just that time at, I was there, I was, but, and in that role I fulfilled, I really was. Um, but my, my perspective on things have changed so much. And so unlike you, my coming out in my progressive Christian denomination, it was a blip. And the reason why it was a blip is because I also was never serving a, a church. So there was the, uh, people, who, ministers who come out and who are serving a church often have a much harder road <laughs> um, than like me, who's always been on the periphery of religion. And there, that's where I'm supposed to be, I think. Um, but I don't know. But it's, I keep feeling called the lead. So God damn it. <laughs> 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 I am Jonah. I am literally Jonah. Um, but yours wasn't so easy within your denomination. So would you like to talk a little bit just about that? Sure. Well, f- just to clarify, though, at the time when I came out, I was not serving any congregation. A church. Yeah, right. And I, and I wasn't serving it. I had actually resigned from my um, position as director before I came out as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wasn't in any sort of ministry. No, you were just, yeah, you just, just were coming out. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I knew, I knew that. So thank you for clarifying. So, um, so then I separated from my husband. Mm-hmm. Um, Which is a big no-no in conservative religion. Yeah. Those who don't and know. <laughs> I had had, for a long time, I had a, a, a mentor who, um, got wind of things. I, we hadn't sort of spoken in, in a while, but got wind of things and reached out to me. And uh, I respected her. And so I met with her and I went back and forth as to whether or not to share what was going on. Um, I've decided that I owed it to her uh, because what she had been in my life to mm-hmm. tell her where I was at with things. Mm-hmm. and. Her words to me were, what am I supposed to do with this? I'm an elder, mm-hmm. an elder in the church, which is a leader in the church. 
and mm-hmm. in the church which held my credentials as a pastor. Mm-hmm. Um, I had hoped that I, when I shared that with her, that she would go, wow, that's a lot. Let's walk through this together. Uh, that didn't happen. Mm-hmm. Um, what I've come to understand through um, research and through, through talking with you and such is the fact that that's considered spiritual abuse. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I did not, um, you know, I'm, I'm a strong woman. I, I'm not, couldn't be abused. Right. But uh, that that's a piece of spiritual abuse of, of abuse of power. And um, yeah, so she went to the governing body. Um, basically, well, she met with my ex-husband as well. And I got an email from her on a Monday that was saying they were the leadership body at the church was meeting on Wednesday. Um, they were going to bring this up. I had not come out to my kids yet. Um, mm. They had only my ex-husband and I had talked, um, but nobody else really knew. And uh, so that was a Monday. I responded on Tuesday and, and asked her, please not to. Um, you know, my, I want to talk to my kids. This is not going to be helpful. I'm not serving a congregation. I'm not in ministry. It's not going to hurt anyone to, right. to not bring it there. Uh, but it got brought up anyway. And on that Wednesday, I I had to work all day. I had gotten a job because, um, mm-hmm. you know, our, our, uh, our system here in America, you have to have a job to have insurance. So <laughs> I was working there. And um, after five o'clock in the afternoon, I after work, I drove to Detroit to talk to my my daughter, and tell her what was going on. Um, that's a two and a half hour drive from where we were in West Michigan, um, because I knew she needed to know from me, not from the church. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't want her finding out in a roundabout way. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so she, however, she had the most to lose in all of this. Um, and she's because she's the one that introduced me to my catalyst and uh, I knew she would feel extremely responsible and uh, yeah she didn't make you gay no no and but she, I knew that, I mean like the, but, like but I knew that she would carry that, that she would feel that yes. but like it honestly though like saying this with love it has nothing to do with her I mean you could have been introduced by any right. one of your other children to this woman it it's not the catalyst that made you gay I mean right. you've always been gay <laughs> and you're you're falling in love with a woman for the first time made you gay I'm not made you gay made you realize she right were, right yeah, right yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah 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 but I knew that she would carry that and would also um so because her, it's her and I need to talk talk to her before I talk to my other couple of kids. But now um, in reflection though, now 5 6 years later, um I wouldn't have shared it with my mentor. Oh yeah. <laughs> That's that no, would be but, my Yeah, I mean yeah, if to have it over but but now realizing that um attaching that response, you know, like your daughter wasn't responsible for any any of that. It wasn't her responsibility to hold. I mean, whose responsibility it was was the mentor who outed you, right. and which is one of the cruelest things to do some to somebody. 
And then when you went back to your mentor and said, hey, could you just not do this right now? She refused. There was no rush. This didn't, that didn't have to be done in five days. She's the one that carries the responsibility of what happened, not your daughter. And my daughter was wonderful. She's mm-hmm. an amazing young woman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She received me with love and grace. Mm-hmm. And uh, well, because you're her mother, that's what she was <laughs> well, taught. That's what she was taught. So yes. yeah, so we've we've come a long way um, mm-hmm. and everything. But yeah, so then I went, you know, back to the. Basically, I feel like the, the the church got in the way of the process um, and took away from the work I needed to do with myself, with my family, and and I had to, and and so in order to, I knew that our church, the community of the church, was not ready to even think about this. So um, I knew I had to confide in someone else who kind of knew church polity and such. Like, what are my options? What do I do? And basically, in order to keep my family out of it and to keep it from becoming a huge gossip thing, um, I resigned my ordination. Mm-hmm. And so, can I ask you? Are you are you ordained in a different denomination? Not yet. No. Okay. Um, no one can take your ordination away. <laughs> no human being. You know, and I understand absolutely why you did it. They forced you to. <laughs> and and also, too, I'm sure you didn't want to have a long fight with anybody about that. But um, God ordains our whole self. And I I wonder, when did when were you ordained? What year? Um, so 2011. Okay. So and this all happened after that. God ordains our Yeah. Yeah. Six years later. Um, seven. Um, anyway, God ordains our whole self. And so when you are ordained, he also get uh or I don't call God he, they also ordained um the part of you that was queer too. Exactly. And I, I've come to understand that and recognize that. And mm-hmm. you know, and like you, I kind of um trying to figure out what my relationship is with, with an ordination. What is the institution? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's why I haven't necessarily pursued that so much. No, Um, you, and also too, you don't need it. You're already ordained. (laughs) You're already working as in the role of, as a a minister too. So, and, you know, in chaplaincy on a campus. So you honestly don't need it professionally either so because and also too it's like a it's like being baptized twice (laughs) you know you really don't once you're baptized you're baptized you don't really need to get baptized again (laughs) so so that's the next that's the last part of the story right is that I'm now back sort of serving in ministry so tell what us what happened so (laughs) I can only imagine Oh my gosh, honey, I can only imagine the devastation you must have felt at that time. And I can only imagine what it must have been like to be running ahead of a tidal wave that you didn't expect. And first of all, I just want you to know that 
I understand like what that must have been like for you. And I have an extraordinary empathy. And I'm also wanting to say that I'm so sorry that happened to you. That was crappy. (laughs) And when you're just coming out and to have to like to, to out yourself against your will to people that you love is, is really hard to do. Thank you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But you're it still was, here was, in that song. <laughs> it was, and that's the the tension, right? It was both freeing, mm-hmm. um, but also completely awful, right? And, yes. And, and hard. Yes. And you know, yes. right? Yeah. But it everybody was, that's been like, in I was, I was, it wasn't really the church for me. It was my small little community that I lived in. It was incredibly freeing, but it was incredibly awful. And I also lot, lost a lot from that too, you know? And, um, and like you, like, like me, you also like going through this loss decided to remake your life. And so what was the next step? You went back to now you're, are you still partnered with your catalyst? Uh, no, no. Okay. Yeah. We are, we are currently redefining our relationship. Okay. <laughs> okay. So uh, talk about yeah. what happened next. Well, so that was in 2018. Um, I was trying to figure out life uh, and in the process, COVID happened in 2020 and I was actually on vacation with my my catalyst at the time when COVID shut everything down and the person I had been living with at the time said they wanted to completely isolate and, and, um, and what do we call it? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I know what you mean, but I'm stuck in place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, As we, uh, uh, what's the word? Oh my gosh! I know, right? It's COVID trauma. <laughs> Somebody's yelling at their uh, their radio, right? <laughs> I know. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, I, go ahead. <laughs> and didn't want to. And I was, I was actually the job I was working in was a facilities coordinator at the time. So I was like, okay, I have to coordinate what what we're going to do with this COVID thing. I, I have to come and go a little bit. Um, and, and she didn't want that. And so my catalyst basically said, okay, I guess you're moving in with me. Mm-hmm. And that was, uh, so I moved in with her and we had to figure it out. Uh, we, neither one of us were, were ready for that. Um, and so in the, in the process of all of that was trying to figure out life, what's next. Um, the jobs that I was looking at that I wanted to get back into, um, basically we're requiring an MSW, a master's of social work degree. And a lot of the work I had done throughout the course of my ministerial time was, could be considered social work type stuff. Uh, And so I was like, all right, I can just go back and get an MSW. Um, And then in the course of the conversations we were having, she said to me, unless you want to get a PhD. And the way she tells it is that my eyes just sort of lit up and she's like, well, then you need to get your PhD. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> I'm like, well, I don't know. What do I need to do yet? Do, can I really do that? And so I started looking and uh, found the program that I'm in right now, which is a combined MSW PhD program at the University of Albany in Albany, New York. And I applied. Um, I was accepted. Uh, I was waitlisted for funding, um, and I also applied to Michigan State and their MSW program. 
which was close. You know, I could basically live in West Michigan still. And uh, I was accepted there. I had registered at Michigan State. I had an internship lined up in their Gender and Sexuality Center. And then I got word from the University of Albany that they had um, assistantship for me. Wow. And this was COVID. This was May of 2020. And so I said, all right, I guess I'm moving to New York. Mm -hmm. And basically have started over. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's been, you know, hard, of course, but it's been very good. Um, I have the MSW now and I'm in my last semester of coursework for my PhD. Mm -hmm. And I have had the opportunity to serve as the as a counselor, a clinician at the Pride Center here in Albany. Um, and I also just, I got connected here. So my catalyst at the at the time, she's like, you know what? I think I know somebody at, at Albany. I think I went to college with her. She's always posting on Facebook. And so she's like, would you like me to connect you? I'm like, of course, right? Mm-hmm. Well, it turns out that she was the campus pastor at UAlbany and very social justice minded. Um, but she was also the pastor of a small church plant, a UCC oh. church plant. Mm-hmm. And I had no intention of getting connected with the church when I moved here. I was kind of done with church for a while, but uh, got connected with her. And she invited me to an outside event that was happening during COVID. I decided to go. Um, and I got there and took me a while to get out of my car. I'm like, why am I here? What am I going to say? How am I going to present myself? And the very first people that I met were two women who have the same story as I do, or mm-hmm. very similar. And, uh, you know, I didn't know that at the time. I met them separately and, you know, they kind of introduced themselves, talked about their kids and different things. And I'm like, hmm, what's going on? Well, they've become very close friends. And uh, well, because, you know, the universe put them in your way. <laughs> and actually, the very first person that I had as a, a client in, in uh, at the Pride Center she was 60 and had come out five months before. And so it was like, yeah, just, and what I've discovered, you know, thinking I was very much alone um, is that there is a community and it's a people like myself. And there's a, and also too, there's a huge leader in life community. There really, and and, and over the last um, five years, um, we have become a much more visible community. Mm-hmm. Um, I know when I came out, we weren't. Um, and I got, I was, for me, I was like, okay. Like people, people were often like, um, you know, they had to work through the shame of coming out, you know, and then a lot of them started to beat themselves up because they were later. And I'm like, okay, this is ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that's what I'm I mean, finding too, right? Yeah, this is because first of all, there are first of all, women often find out that women acknowledge their sexuality a lot later than men. Because as a society, we teach our boys to listen to their voices. And we teach our girls to be good, to pay attention to, to be good and to take care of the needs of others. There is a reason why boys identify their sexuality and also um uh, uh, acknowledged their, their sexuality way more before women, women, and also two women have certain expectations to get married and to have children. Mm-hmm. And, and if you are in a, um, part of the world or your family or, or, or some of the stuff with your origin, your birth family of origin, make, there's all kinds of reasons why it takes women longer to 
to come out. And we are a big, large community. <laughs> I yeah, think sometimes exactly. I, I sometimes I would love to see like stats on it, but I think sometimes like it's pretty equal people that have come out like at 18, 19, 20, and then women that have come out later after marriage. I'm just going to say after marriage or like late twenties, early thirties, because later in life is self-defined and the largest, you know, the youngest woman I've ever worked with was 25. And, you know, and the like, that's thing. not later in life. Yeah, no, but it is, it was <laughs> it to is. them. It right? is. Yep, it is. Yeah. So. My research is now focused on the intersections and identity formation um, of gender, sexuality, and religion within the later in life uh, community. And oh, so I didn't. Girl, I have some subjects for you. <laughs> just call, just call me, and I'll hook you up. Okay, with thousand right. women you can interview, and I'm, I'm I would close love to be helped to be a part of that study because, really, I, like I said, I didn't even realize that you had switched to this before we talked. And like I said, is that I would really love for um, people who are in the therapy world to get good, solid research on how to help people to come out like when they're coming out later in life and that that sexuality is not fixed and not people don't all figure it out when they're 20. And so we need to start having a large conversation. And there's lots of men that come out later in life too. And so I don't want to negate them. I have met doing this work, I have met so many men that has come out later in life as well. So Lori, I love to ask these three questions and I just want to congratulate you on a remarkable journey. Um, do you have a coming out song? Well, not really a song. Mm-hmm. I, have a, <laughs> I have an album or a, that's an old term probably, right? Um, yeah, so about the time that I came out, the movie, The Greatest Showman came out as well. <laughs> this is me. <laughs> well, this is me, of course, right, uh, Keela, but... Um, the whole, there's a whole bunch of other songs. Yeah, there are. There's some wonderful songs. Like Tightrope and, uh, what's the other one? Um, I can't remember it now. Anyway, the, there's, the two songs are, have to do with, um, you know, the, the, the whole movie has to do with the, the story of the circus, which, you know, I have a, conflicted relationship with but it's really about community and finding community in your as a marginalized individual and so um that's cool and then this tightrope song has to do with um one person one person is like yeah let's do this um we're together we love each other and the other one says well we can't because um society won't let us be together and uh, it's really about class and and such, but you know the intersection identities of of all sorts of things can fall into that, and yeah, I, that's kind of where I was at, um, mm-hmm. right? I, I I hear you because I I was already out. I had already moved down here and everything like that. But I was working in a hospital in Murfreesboro, which is about an hour out of Tennessee, and I used to have to commute, which was about an hour for me. And I played that album a lot while I was commuting back and forth because although I was out and although I was living with a woman and and I had left my marriage and was divorced by that point, I still, my my LGBTQIA identity, and I'm a big fan of the cast model of identity, the cast model of identity, which is an old one. 
And um, I, I, my identity was still developing. So just because you come out and, and, and all those things is that it, the identity comes from like questioning all the way to acceptance and then activism and things like that. And so my identity still hadn't formed yet. And now it has, but that, that, that album had a lot of, that made a lot of comfort for me during that time. So I, I hear you. Um, has there been a book or a movie that you saw that has really like rocked your world and changed your life? For me, that was um, Richard Rohr's Falling Upward. I love that book, too. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, it wasn't necessarily while I read it while during my coming out process. It was a book Mm -hmm. that I I think, it again, it was part of that creating a vulnerable space of giving myself permission to actually think about who am I. Um, Mm -hmm. Thinking about the falling into this space of... are, are well if you're you've read the book so the first half of life is about creating and establishing and all of that and basically the second half of life is like <laughs> unpacking all of that and kind of allowing yourself to be vulnerable and and free and not have to keep pursuing you know speaking of Richard Rohr too um I remember when I was just first coming out I I get his news newsletter yeah um whatever I don't know for the two weeks I don't remember what I can't even tell you what it was but they were talking about um oh my gosh I really can't I don't want to say what it was but it was like so meaningful to where I was at that moment about I think it was more about acceptance of self and it was little it was so like it was so beautiful what was written and I just remember being so comforted by that too and it was just it just it was happened to be those two weeks and you know and sometimes we read things just because where we are it just hits us in a certain way and you know it wasn't written with the intention but we apply it to that our lives and it works yeah um, it's and and also too for anybody, I highly re- recommend Richard Rohr's book Falling Upwards. It is a great book. He's a great writer, a great spiritual writer. It is a spiritual book, but it's also about the unpacking of midlife. And so, with my later in life lesbians, I always say to them, you know, you're at the age where you're supposed to deconstruct. I mean, this, <laughs> yeah. You know, and 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 midlife. For people, as I say, between 35 and 55, some people get to it later, some people get to it earlier, but it is the part of life we're supposed to do that. It's a developmental stage. <laughs> and sometimes people really, really think it's like a midlife crisis. It's not. It's a spirit. For a lot of us, it's a spiritual awakening. Spirituality you know? is a process, right? Right. Yeah. It is. Yeah. Um, how would you describe your life now, Lori? Uh, so I think... If I had to just choose one word, I would choose the word queer uh, because it's one I've identified now as a queer researcher, right? Doing mm-hmm. queer research, which has to do with looking at power um, with the under the precepts of gender and sexuality, but also recognizing all the intersections that we have in our identities and um, pressing against binaries. Binaries don't exist. And we, our society, our Western society in particular, um, likes binaries a lot. And so I'm just like I'm, I'm 
pressing against all of those and breaking all the binaries. So life is complicated, but it's beautiful and fun. Um, it's messy, but there's some direction. I've got some purpose I've, I, that I really think I finally feel like I've figured out what I want to be when I grow up. Um, <laughs> I'm so glad that your, your experience is informing your academic work. And I am so excited to see what you produce. Um, it is needed. And I'm glad people, I can do other things now. I don't have to go back and get my PhD (laughs) because I've thought about doing that. And it's really nice to hear that someone that has had that experience and who understands it on a, uh, on a level, on a, on a soul level, but also is going to approach it from an academic level and intellectual level, and hopefully combined a little bit of the both in it to research. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, Lori, thank you so much for spending the last hour with me. It's been so lovely to talk to you, you. and get to yeah. know you better. And good luck with everything. And the, your university is very blessed to have you as their pastor. And the kids are really, really lucky they get you. <laughs> that's that's the newest piece, right? I didn't yeah. expect that. So yeah, <laughs> here uh, we are with that. Uh, and yeah. you know, and, and and okay, so Lori is serving as a campus pastor at a, at a university. And before she got on, got on this call, she said, "I, you know, it's that was always my dream job." And I said, "Well, when we move toward our truth and authenticity, often dreams come true, even dreams that have nothing to do with our queerness, but it does." <laughs> so, congratulations on your new job. That's Thank wonderful. you. Thank yeah. you. I'm yeah. excited. You've been listening to Coming Out and Beyond, LGBTQIA plus stories with Anne-Marie Zanzel. New episodes of the Coming Out and Beyond podcast drop every other Friday. You can tune in at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and at annemariezanzel.com. Be sure to hit subscribe when tuning in so you never miss an episode. And for more resources, articles, videos, and a free downloadable guide for coming out later in life, visit annemariezanzel.com.